Hi, welcome back to another episode of You the Mother podcast by Abby Williams, a space dedicated to supporting, empowering, and connecting all parents in all seasons of parenthood. You can find more supportive content over on Instagram and TikTok at You the Mother. And be sure to check out youthemother.com where you can reach out to work with me one-on-one or sign up for my groups. In today's episode, I'm welcoming on Rachel Bailey. Rachel is a parenting specialist who has been serving families for over a decade. Besides being a mother of two, she also has a master's degree in clinical psychology, a certification in positive discipline, and has provided services as an ADHD coach, in-home mentor, and therapist. Through her podcast, Your Parenting Long Game, programs, and services, Rachel teaches parents how to reduce negative interactions and drama for a more calm and peaceful home. In today's episode, Rachel talks all about kids with big feelings. She talks about how to know when your child has big emotions, what that even means, how to stay calm, how to foster resiliency and healthy self-esteem with your child, and how we as parents can show up better for our children with big emotions. This is such an important conversation, whether your child has big emotions or any emotions, which is really every child. And Rachel has so much more information on these topics over on her website, rachel-bailey.com. Her podcast, wherever you're listening to this podcast, is Your Parenting Long Game, Instagram at Rachel Bailey Parenting, and YouTube at Rachel Bailey. She also is offering a free training, which will be linked in the description of this podcast. I hope that you enjoy today's episode, and if you do, please be sure to leave a five-star rating and review. Your support here on the podcast always means the world to me, and I so appreciate you being here. So let's get started in supporting you, the mother. Rachel, welcome to You, the Mother podcast. I am so excited that you are joining us here today because I think all of us probably have at least one child with big emotions. Um, and if not, maybe maybe that child is coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, and even if they're not big emotions, you know, I think that this conversation is still relevant. Um, you know, I think that Emotions are an always thing, um, and there's always something to navigate, Um, and I think that having these tools is helpful for everybody. So thank you for joining me. Um, Tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, first of all, thank you for having me here. I'm excited to be here. Um, So I am a parenting specialist. uh, I'm a psychologist, podcaster myself, and I do specialize in helping parents who are raising children with big emotions. And what I mean by big emotions, it's not always the really loud meltdowns and tantrums. This is just children who feel things strongly. So sometimes you see that through the meltdowns, the tantrums, the strong-willed behavior. But honestly, some kids with big emotions, it's a little quieter, maybe the anxiety or the sensitivity. In my family, I am a highly sensitive person myself, and I have two kids each of whom have big feelings and that it comes out so differently. One of my children is really loud about it. One of my children is really quiet. She's sensitive, but she's really, really sensitive. So um, that's what I specialize in these days. I didn't start out to do this, but it just really fell into my lap. And I realized I've been doing this for for many, many years now. And it's it's, uh, hopefully I can give some practical tools for parents who are raising kids with big emotions. And I love that you differentiated the difference Mm -hmm. there. Because I agree. I think that when we think of a child with big emotions, you think of these tantrumy children 
their emotions are just out and everywhere, you know? And I think that that's kind of easier to, to see like, Oh, I have this child. Um, So I guess like, how do we know if our child has big emotions Mm -hmm. when maybe they're not hanging out all over the place? Yeah. So it's very funny because you're right. We see the meltdowns, Mm -hmm. the tantrums that you often looks like strong willed behavior, but my child who's sensitive is actually not strong-willed at all. She's very go with the flow because she feels discomfort so strongly that she would rather things to go easier. She would rather things to be smooth because she doesn't like feeling uncomfortable. So some kids feel uncomfortable and they emote. Some kids feel uncomfortable and they're like, I'm going to do everything I can to make everyone happy. And they're very sensitive to, for example, if if an animal gets hurt. Or they're very sensitive also to what they perceive as criticism. So if you say something like, hey, can you put that plate over there? Or can you close the door? They get really upset. So again, what what all of these children have underneath is just they when they feel a feeling, they feel it very strongly and have some sort of reaction to it. So the quieter kids are usually just a little bit more sensitive. They're not really emoting how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. And I guess like, is there a difference, you know, when we're talking about maybe the tantrum children or the children that it looks very loud? Is there a difference between big emotions and just, I don't know, tantrum kids? Um, I mean, any child who they're going to be children are going to tantrum, yeah, period. Right. So children who do this on a regular basis, yeah. who consistently struggle when things, for example, aren't fair in mm-hmm. their mind, quote unquote, fair, mm-hmm. when things are not going their way. When and maybe you know, big kids with big emotions tend to be fine one minute and then they have a really big reaction. You're like, wait, what just happened? Like, it's like out of the blue. So it's usually on a more frequent basis. Um, it may affect the family a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's really how you know. But it almost doesn't matter because, like you said in the beginning, the strategies I teach will work for any child, any family. It almost doesn't matter. I know. So, like, I guess let's let's kind of get into that. Um... You know, because I think when you have a child with big emotions, whether they're hanging out all over the place or they're very internalized, you know, how do we navigate some of these things? How do we allow our children the space to feel discomfort and process these feelings? Yeah. So one of the the two things that I'm always thinking about when helping parents, well, three things really, helping parents who are raising children with big emotions. For the children, the two things are, how do we foster resilience? Mm -hmm. So these children can handle the fact that life isn't going to go their way. And how do we do it? This is the biggie that a lot of people forget about. How do we do it in a way that fosters healthy self-esteem? Because kids with big emotions are so much more likely to have low self-esteem because they're getting these messages about their emotions that they're bad or they're wrong or they should change. There's a lot of low self-esteem with these kids. So those are the two things I think about with children. And then with parents, I think about how can we not feel like we're walking on eggshells? How can we not feel guilty about this? So my um, strategies fall into those three buckets. It's really helping parents, helping foster resilience and foster healthy self-esteem. I love that you bring up the topic of parents feeling guilt. And a lot of feelings around that, because I think that when you have a child with big emotions, oftentimes, you know, you'll see parents, you got to stuff your emotions, you know, I I think that there's a lot of shame around emotion. (laughs) For sure. And we're all human beings that have emotion. They're all needed. Anger, sadness, happiness, all these emotions are so needed, right? And so how do we kind of move out of this place of 
you know, feeling shame around our children having these emotions, guilt that maybe I'm a bad mom because my child's having this big emotion in Target because I said no to the toy and it's unfair, you know? Um, How do we kind of move out of that and into a place where we are able to foster this resilience and keep their self-esteem intact? Yeah. So first we have to realize where the shame comes from, which is generally our upbringing and our own experiences. Mm -hmm. So we learned as a generation that emotions are bad. And the funny thing is that whenever I explain the purpose of emotions, it's really simple. I mean, think about it like this. If you had a broken leg and you didn't feel pain, you would keep walking on that leg. Our emotions are present to tell us things. Mm -hmm. And if we don't listen to our emotions, they don't go away. They just go underground. Mm -hmm. So kids add up to what I call piles of yuck inside because they're never able to express their emotions. So we need emotions. What we want to teach kids with big emotions is to respect their emotions, but not let their emotions control them. These are actually resiliency skills. We want kids to identify their emotions but their emotions don't control them. So to answer your question, one of the first things we have to do is just realize, of course, we have these feelings about big emotions because that's what we learned. That's what our parents learned. There's just a lot more research out there that shows that suppressing emotions is not really good for us. Right. So we, one of the strategies, because I'm really a strategy person, I hate talking in like high theoretical. One of the strategies that I teach parents is to um, recognize what their story is from their past. So I actually have them think about what did you learn about big emotions from your parents? What did you learn from your experiences? I, as a highly sensitive person, definitely learned from my experiences that big emotions right. are bad. Right. And then shift when you're looking at your child from a place of judgment, which is what we learned, to a, a place of understanding and really recognizing what is going on for your child. So I have an exercise that I call the chapter exercise, where I basically have, it's from those chapter books where every chapter is told from the point of view of a different uh, a different character. So I have parents take a per, take a situation and shift from a judgmental perspective, which is where they usually start. And I say, write that same chapter in your child's point of view, right. and you'll start to shift. And that's the first step of both resilience and self-esteem. It's a hard, it's really hard, mm-hmm. right? And I think, you know, when you're coming from this place of, I was never shown this as a child, Absolutely. I'm learning something new. Maybe you're learning alongside of your child. Right. Most of the parents I work with are absolutely right, right. You know, and I think that you know a lot of us are probably highly sensitive children that were it was shut down. Maybe your yes. self esteem is, ugh. maybe your resiliency is a little, ugh. you know. And I'm like throwing myself in this bucket too. You know, I think I Me am, too. Yeah, I Me am too. definitely learning alongside of my children a lot of these things. Yeah. Um. And and we're messy humans, right? And I think I've said it in like probably a hundred podcast episodes. The the goal the goal is not to be this perfect mother. Um. And the goal is to not always get it right, but the ability to be self-aware, to acknowledge when you mess up, to come back and repair, you know, I think is equally so important. And so, you know, it's just, it's a beautiful thing to be able to grow alongside of our children. A hundred percent. And very honestly, I used to be a therapist for teenage girls who had eating disorders. So what I actually found was the parents who are the most real, mm-hmm. we're less likely to have a child with an eating disorder, believe it or not. That is right. not a clear correlation, right. but it was always a red flag to me as a, when I was a therapist, if right. you thought, if a child thought their parents were perfect, that's a red flag. 
Yeah. We don't, yeah. our kids don't want us to be perfect because then they think they need to be perfect. Yeah. They can't measure up and now I'm a problem. Right. Exactly. Right. And especially kids with big emotions need to know we are messy. Right. And when they see that parents are messy too, that we mess up, right. they feel so much better about themselves. Right. Yeah. How do you feel like we have some of these conversations with our children? You know, I think that like when we think of kids with big emotions, you think of like the toddlers that you're carrying out of Target, like a surfboard, right? (laughs) Um, But I want to kind of talk to maybe some of the older kid parents, you know, where, okay, toddlers tantrum, we're all kind of going through that, right? But now we kind of move out of toddlerhood and now we have kids with big emotions, maybe into elementary school, middle school, high school. How do we, I guess, help these conversations with our children around these emotions? Yeah. The first thing we have to do is normalize our kids' experiences. Mm -hmm. One of the first things you can do, and that's why I talked a little bit about the chapter exercise before. One of the first things you want to do is help children understand their emotions. Again, we're not going to judge them anymore. You were too dramatic or why are you getting so upset? Or you shouldn't be so sensitive when I say that. We have to stop that judgment and say, here's some some phrases, by the way, some quick tips for for your listeners. Mm -hmm. Of course is a great way to start a statement. Of course you were upset because I asked you to move the dish and you thought you had done it right the first time. Mm -hmm. Or another good way to start a phrase, no wonder, no wonder you got upset because your teacher, you know, told you that you did something wrong. So we're really, even if you don't agree with your child, especially if you don't agree with your child, help them understand themselves. Mm -hmm. Again, this is the first step for both self-esteem and resilience because the next thing we do is we say, okay, when you feel that way, how are you going to handle it? Maybe the way you handled it wasn't really that effective. Yeah. So this is what we want to teach our kids to respect themselves, listen to those emotions, but not be controlled by those emotions. So again, first step, If and I don't work with, actually with parents of toddlers. The, the youngest I work with is age four or so, right. go four and up. So this is the audience I talk to is start to understand your child, help them understand themselves. Understanding will help you feel better about your child and it will help them learn how to be more resilient. Yeah. I love that because I just think that all humans want to be seen and heard, right? So coming from a place of, I see you, I hear you, that is so disarming, right? Yeah. And And I think it's healing, you know, for like ourselves, for us that weren't seen and heard, you know, to be able to give that. Absolutely. It is. It's a game changer. And a lot of parents are afraid that if you see your child, you're reinforcing their quote unquote sensitivity. You're not because what you're doing is you're saying, here's your experience. And then here's how you can handle that experience so that you can handle the fact that life is hard. So we're not letting them wallow. That's the the biggest fear. Like, well, they're not, they're wallowing and I'm just giving into it. No, you're not. I promise. Yeah. 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 I think my life would be completely different if somebody would have heard me. Me too. I could not, I could not. And I love, I actually think I had great parents, but they did not understand my emotions. So they totally squashed them, which they learned to do too, no fault. But yeah, I would be a very different person if I had been heard too. Absolutely. So, and I think that like kind of speaking on that, that we're the kind of this generation that came from a generation that didn't have these tools, right? There's a lot of parents. So I think a lot of us are learning these skills for the first time, being parents that are seeing and understanding our kids' emotions. But at the same time, those feelings can be triggering, right? Mm -hmm. 
because I wasn't allowed to be like this. And now here you are with all your feelings and I'm feeling some kind of way about it. Right. And I think it can be very triggering for a lot of parents. How are we able to show up as our best selves? Yeah. And stay calm in those moments. So there, I think there are two pieces to this. One is how are we in life in general? If we're overwhelmed, if we're stressed, if we are, um, you know, just feeling like I have no control over my life. Yeah, it's me. It's me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. That and I'm going to give you some strategies, but I'm going to tell you that that the feeling I call this space yuck. Whenever we're in an uncomfortable position, I call it yuck. When we have a lot of yuck in our lives, it's actually hard not to see our kids' emotions as a threat, no matter how many strategies you have. Because when we're in that overwhelmed stress place, our fight or flight response is on pretty much most of the time. And our fight or flight response becomes a filter through which we see other people's behavior and it becomes a threat. Mm-hmm. So there's that piece of it, which is how are we doing as human beings? Yeah. If we're in a good place, which most of us are not, but if we are in a good place, then we get to the strategies of how do you actually see your child's big emotions as less of a threat? Because that's really the key. When we don't see their emotions as a threat, we handle it totally differently. So I'm going to give you another strategy. I gave you one earlier, which is to shift from judgment to understanding. Another strategy I teach parents, this is a really big one, is to recognize when your future thinking So what we do is we see this emotion and we think, if I don't get this under control, then my child is going to never have any friends or never be able to be in a relationship. And it's funny because I feel like all parents end up at this place where our kids are on our couch when they're 30 years old, playing video games and eating pizza. Like if I don't nip this in the bud right now, they're not going to have any friends. They're going to be lonely. They won't get married. They'll be back in our house. It doesn't matter what it is. They always end up there. So we have to stop future thinking. And the first step is to recognize we're future thinking. And then what I teach is a strategy of it. We shift future thinking to supporting now. What can we do right now? Because focusing on right now actually makes a better future than trying to prevent something from happening in the future. So again, we have two buckets. We have our own general, how are we? And the second bucket is how do we view our children's emotions? If we see them as a threat, we can't handle them effectively. Yeah. And lots of therapy, mamas. Therapy or talking to friend or yeah. talking to friends and realizing you are so not alone. I run groups on purpose because yeah. I want all the moms to realize you are not alone in this. Yeah. Almost I, everybody's going through the same thing. I think that groups are a really, really good tool. Yeah. I, I'm glad that you do that for the moms in your community because I do. I think that having community is one of like the most beneficial tools on healing on, you know, just knowing that you're not alone is so powerful Mm -hmm. for so many different, you know, areas of our life. But I think motherhood, and especially since you kind of talk to more of these older um, kids, parents, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that, you know, there's so many like mommy and me groups or the toddler play groups. But once our kids get into school, things get a little different. And I think that motherhood in general is pretty lonely, but I don't know. It it becomes different as like your kids age because I don't feel like we talk about stuff as openly as we did when they were little. Absolutely. And we have to, we have to, we have to talk about resentment. We have to talk about guilt. We have to talk about how annoyed sometimes we get because we, then if not, we feel like we're the only ones and that's where shame creeps in and shame is not something we want in our lives as a regular visitor. So yeah, but we all go through it, but you're right. There are fewer outlets as kids get older. There really are. Yeah. And I think that they're, it's important. 
mm-hmm. really important. So finding finding your people. Um, I want to circle back on resilience because I want to talk about, um, I guess, like ways that we can show up where we're not fixing our kids' problems. You yes. know, they're having these big emotions and you see the problem and you're like, oh, if I just fix this, this will go away. How do we not do that? <laughs> yeah, that, so that is that's so important that we yeah. uh, recognize that we're doing that and stop doing that because the worst thing you can do. I work with a lot of parents whose kids are anxious, and the worst thing you can do for an anxious, sensitive child or big feeling child is to um, fix because then what happens is they become reliant on you to fix their problems, and when you're not there, they're even more anxious. So I actually teach parents um, first of all to be aware of what they're thinking. I'm going to do a lot of that. You can tell, but also to teach children, the skill of problem solving outside of the moment. This is such a big resilience strategy. So I can give you a couple of really easy ways to do this. One of the things we can do is teach kids what I call the language of problem solving. Mm -hmm. And a phrase you can use to teach kids how to solve problems is, can I please, or can you please? So teaching kids this, these phrases actually solves 95% of interpersonal problems. So a lot of kids may be afraid to like talk to a peer or they're afraid to talk to a teacher, but just knowing that you can start with, can I please get some time with you? Can I please play with you? Can you please stop doing that? That is such a um, great problem solving phrase for kids to have. So I talk about the, the language of problem solving. Another really fun way to do this. Mm-hmm. And um, if there are parents of teens listening, this won't work for teens, but like elementary school age kids is to do some problem solving, like fun problem solving as a family. So one of the ways that you can do this is just like at the dinner table, be like, okay, I have a problem. Let's say you're in the airport and you have to go to the bathroom, but you have no one to watch your bags. What are all the solutions we can come up with to solve this problem? Because what you want is kids to realize that every problem has multiple solutions. Yeah. So when we empower our kids in this way, and it's actually fun, their brain starts to think, oh, problem solving is actually not that hard and it's really fun. Then kids are solving their own problems and it takes a lot of pressure off of us too. Yeah. I kind of like the idea of like practicing this as a family, because I think a lot of us adults could probably benefit from this exercise. (laughs) Hugely, hugely, because we have our own focus of how it's supposed to go. Yeah. So we want to be more flexible too. Absolutely. This could probably solve like 90% of the fights in my marriage. (laughs) You know what this when I, when I teach this skill, a lot of people say it helps marriages, it helps relationships. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 that's what my husband says to me all the time. Like if it's not in the right, in the order that Abby thought it should be. A hundred percent. And I can relate to you because I want it to be in my order too. I'm like, well, I don't understand why you clean this way and not this way. Yeah. It's just my body. Exactly. But it doesn't matter. It all gets to the same place. But our brains do that for a reason, which we could get into, but our brains do do that for a reason. It protects us. So anyway. Yeah. 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 And that's why I'm like lots of therapy guys. (laughs) That's my thing, huh? Yeah. Um, You know, so how do you feel like we can stop getting stuck in these situations that aren't going well? Very honestly, I think if you are seeing that your child's emotions trigger you and your emotions trigger your child and it gets, I call this a cycle of yuck. I describe this. It is kind of, I hate to say this, but it's kind of up to us to break that cycle. 
to be aware of the cycle that your child's emotions mm-hmm. put you into yuck where mm-hmm. your fight or flight response is kicked in. And when I say your fight or flight response is kicked in, it's not that you're necessarily yelling. Right. You may feel anxious. You may feel unequipped. Right. You may, it's just a feeling of discomfort. When you get into that place, your kids sense that and it makes their yuck worse. So we have to break that cycle by recognizing how we're responding, how we're thinking about it. And absolutely, there are action steps you can take. Some of the ones I mentioned in here, noticing your story, shifting from judgment to understanding, shifting from future thinking. These are all strategies that actually help break that cycle. The first piece is just to recognize that it's there, though, because most of us don't. Yeah. I agree that it starts with us. Mm-hmm. You know, and kind of wish it didn't. I know because it's not <laughs> ideal, but it does. But it does. Sometimes yeah. it's easier. You know, I think that we want it to not be us, but sometimes it's easier because then we are able to make these changes. That's, yeah, that is you actually know? what I tell parents. I say you actually have more control than you think. Yeah. It's actually a good thing, yeah. not a bad thing. Yeah, there's pressure on us, but we also have more control over it ending. Yeah. But I think that, you know, that's kind of where some of this like guilt and shame creeps in. And, you know, I think that parents, I also work with kids in a clinical setting. And I think mm-hmm. that parents kind of bring kids to therapy, like, here's my child, fix them. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, come in with us. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, because I think so it that's is. that's actually why I switched. I was seeing yeah. kids too and yeah. teens and I was like, whoa, I just this, need to switch and work with Parents, parents because yeah it yeah. has it has a much bigger impact yeah. It, yeah from from my perspective from the work I was doing yeah I think so as well you know and mm-hmm. so I think that once you like bring parents into the mix you're actually going to see a change yeah yeah and I would just want to say to any parent who feels guilty that maybe they're bringing their kids to someone else or they don't know what to do is that mm-hmm. every human does the best they can with yeah. what they have yeah yeah. And that's the first thing. And the second thing too, is that it's not always the season to work on this. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking, but I, I, I mean, I hear this all the time, but Rachel, I just have so many things going on. Just decide what season it is. Maybe it is the season to work on resilience for your child. Yeah. Maybe it's the season to work on your marriage. Maybe it's the season to relax and not work on any of this stuff. We need a so we just season. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's off season. So we just have to remember that we're doing the best we can. Mm-hmm. And it's not always the time to focus on that thing. And that's yeah. okay. We'll yeah. get to it. Yeah. I love that. Rachel, this is such an important conversation. And I know that this conversation could probably go on for a long time because there's a lot to unpack around big emotions, right? And so tell my listeners where they can go find you so that they can continue these conversations. Absolutely. So I have a podcast myself. It's called Your Parenting Long Game because I teach long game strategies, which do help foster long-term resilience and self-esteem. So Your Parenting Long Game, then I have a Facebook group that's similar. And then I also have a free resource Mm -hmm. on my website. That's that's rachel-bailey.com forward slash long game. So that will also, it's a free um, series that teaches you a little bit more about raising kids with big emotions. Yeah, perfect. I will link all those in the description of this podcast. Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today and supporting you, the mother. Thank you for having me.